Have you ever been to the orchestra? It's a wonderful experience that folks from all creeds and classes can appreciate. It's also a spectacular lesson in cooperation. There are dozens of musicians playing individual instruments that combine to form this one cohesive orchestral sound. These are artists who are at the top of their game, oftentimes spending years, if not decades, mastering their craft. But there's an interesting question. Who plays the orchestra? Much like a B2B SaaS company, an orchestra needs someone to ensure cohesion. If you move too fast, the composition will start to fall apart. If you're all playing along to different music, you'll stall and have to regroup or even start over. And the conductor keeps everyone together. It's, of course, a thankless job because if everyone thinks sounds perfect, the unit as a whole gets the credit. But if mistakes are made, responsibility falls upward. Meet one of the best conductors around Zeb Evans. He's the founder and CEO of ClickUp. Since founding ClickUp in 2016, Zeb has led the company of over 700 employees to become a major player in the workplace productivity market. Today, he shares with us his lessons and tactics that make ClickUp operate like a world-class symphony orchestra. All that and more coming up next. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Zeb Evans dives deep on the fundamentals of leadership. We talk about the role flexibility plays in feedback, four pillars that drive ClickUp's prioritization, how to harvest leads with a wide marketing net, ClickUp's brand awareness strategy, and what most companies miss when going multi-product. After you finish this episode, check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we went over. Let's start things off. Who are you and what do you guys do? Yeah, so I'm Zeb Evans at ClickUp, founder and CEO at ClickUp. We do all-in-one workplace productivity software. So the way to think about ClickUp is that we replace all of your traditionally separate pieces of productivity software. So if you think about things like project management, knowledge management, docs, time tracking, workload, resource management, all of these things are usually separate products. And then what we've done is aggregate them under one platform with the intention of saving people time and making people more productive. No, it's super cool. So it's good to learn that you're not just like a billboard company. You know, I see all these uh, ClickUp ads everywhere, <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about that in a little more. For those that don't know, if you've been in an airport or I think any larger conference hall or something like that, there's ClickUp ads everywhere. And so I want to ask you about that. But before we get into that, what's uh, how did this company come to be? Like, why, why this? And I always love asking people who do kind of like workflow or productivity software because there's always a little bit of a personal piece, but then there's also like, well, this could seem boring. So like, why did you do this? over nuclear fusion or something crazy like that. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I mean, we, we ClickUp actually started as an internal tool and we were going to build a Craigslist competitor where you could pay an app and remove the sketchiness from Craigslist, which I'm, I'm surprised hasn't really been, been done yet. But that's what we were working on. And I, prior to that, I had actually had four near-death experiences. And so this, this like extreme obsession with efficiency and urgency was just kind of instilled inside of me. And so being that, what it is, is we wanted to build our own productivity tool. We, we had a lot of frustrations at my previous company where, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't big. It was like 40 or 50 people. But even at that size, we were using you know, 12, 13 different productivity tools. 
And they call them productivity tools. They're supposed to save you time, right? They're supposed to make you more productive. And we couldn't help think but that was not happening and that they were so damn opinionated that it wasn't as flexible enough to work the way that we wanted to work. So we wanted to build a platform what became ClickUp. Naively, I thought we could build it in, in a month or two. <laughs> and we got into it. And you know, we knew there was a lot more ahead of us, but we also knew that we were just super passionate about what we were building and that it was a bigger problem than, than just our own. Yeah, it's super interesting. And you kind of glossed over something that maybe you're not comfortable going deep on, but like near-death experiences. You've had four near-death experiences, which means your life, probably a couple lifetime movies worth of experience at this point. But like, what's, tell us about that. Like how to connect the dots between those experiences and then the time and productivity piece, if you don't mind. I mean, yeah. So the first one was, it's, it's actually kind of funny because each of them connect to like, to click up in, in some way and, and not directly, but indirectly. And so, you know, when I was 10, I was in a really bad accident and I was in the hospital for two months. And when I was 10, I mean, that was, that was 20 years ago and nobody, and I grew up in North Carolina and nobody had cell phones or laptop or even real connection to the internet at that at that point. But in the hospital, they did. They had a laptop. And so I was able to get on the laptop. And that's where I first started learning technology and loving technology. I was an entrepreneur since I was five or six years old. I was always the kid that was selling things. I was asking for wholesale toys from Oriental Trading Company rather than toys for myself when I was a kid. And and so in the hospital, you know, I, I found that I could like, kind of marry this connection between entrepreneurship and, and technology. And so, you know, I didn't, I say I created my first website. I didn't code it myself. I used like a, a wissy wig GoDaddy, GoDaddy editor, but it got me obsessed with that stuff. And so that was where like my first love of, of technology started. And each of them after that, you know, made me like my second one, I was robbed at gunpoint in a home invasion. A home and inv- oh my I, gosh, yeah, like for, a mugging one thing, home yeah, invasion is totally another level. Yep. Yep. Um, but that one made me realize that and I was in college at the time and I, that made me realize I college was not right for me. And I dropped out of college because of that and started really learning to code. You know, be, be, I, I had known basic HTML up until that point in CSS, but I you know, didn't really know how to program. And so that, that that's when I dropped out of school and, and became obsessed with that. It's not when I started ClickUp. I, I did a completely different thing before this, more like social media automation and management. But the point is, you know, it kind of like changed my path. Each of these changed my path into to where we are today. No, it's wild. Yeah, I definitely went for the Oriental Trading Company game. I also got <laughs> stood up in college, but it was it was more of like a drunken person, not something as scary as a home invasion. So I, I can understand or empathize with how that would shape you a little bit. That's really cool. And, yeah. and I think it's one of those things where when you guys started, you kind of mentioned this already where it was like, hey, multi-product, right? Like, hey, like this is what we're going to go after, like all in one, right? And there's always been this like ebb and flow between across like the the decades of SaaS at this point between all in one point solution, all in one point solution. And so I guess like at the beginning, why was it, and you kind of alluded to this already, but ask it differently, but like, why was it imperative to go all in one or at least most in one? Like, why was that versus like, let's start here and let's see how that goes. And then maybe we'll add these features and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, Mike, my, my perspective actually is that we haven't really gone all in one versus point. We've, we've gone more bundled versus unbundled. And so when you, when you look at kind of bundling when, and compared to what we're doing, you know, Microsoft can, can bundle, it's famous for bundling, but they can bundle 10 products under one roof. 
And you can look at Microsoft Teams as a perfect example of this. You know, you can have Microsoft Teams plus you know, 10 different tabs at the top that may, be, may or may not be Microsoft products. The difference is they're still separate products, right? They're still separate product teams, they're separate onboarding experience, separate change management. They may integrate the surface level with each other, but they don't actually integrate deep enough where it would be the same platform, the exact same ecosystem. And so what we're building is that singular platform, the same ecosystem, where we may not have 100% feature parity with the point solutions sure. yet, but we'll get close to there someday. And so to answer your question, it's all about productivity, right? It's all about making people more efficient, making people more productive and putting things under one roof. And what we found from our customers is an example of like our docs product would be today, it's about 50% of a point solution, like a Confluence or a Notion. You know, in, in 10 days from now, it, it will be, I think, 80% plus some extra stuff that nobody else has, has yet. And we've been working on that for a very long time. But the point that I'm getting to is that customers are okay with using that 50% for now because of the efficiency and the productivity that comes along with having that in the same platform where all of your other work is. And then eventually we get to a point where we can, you know, confidently say, hey, you can replace your other tools with our internal tool. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Google Docs in the beginning. Like Google Docs was obviously Excel, et cetera, were built over decades and they have every feature you can imagine, right? But Google Docs was basically like, we're going to build this core and then we're going to add this like killer feature, which is, you know, being able to share on the cloud or something like that. And then over time, all of a sudden spreadsheets get to the, or sheets get to the point where it's like, if you're hardcore, like you still want Excel, but if you're someone who needs to do like basic V lookups and stuff, you're still into it. And so would you characterize that bundling as being like the equivalent, like feature that people go after. And yeah, I, I guess I'll just end there. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think bundling, like when you look at it from, from a distribution lens, it, it's, it's Microsoft is a perfect example where, you know, they can, they take five products and they, they give them for free through that, that same, that same distribution model. And so that's generally what we've seen a lot of, a lot of where the bundling itself happen where like you see Microsoft office, for example, you know, five or six different tools um, that are bundled together, but they really don't integrate with each other that well. Now you're starting to see them in integrate more but it's still a separate product experience. I think you can also look at, you know, like, like the more traditional project management, look at Atlassian, right? They have several different products, Confluence and Jira being two of the most popular and most well-known. They bundle them together. You can purchase them together, but they're still two entirely separate products and separate ecosystems. They've started building integrations together, but you can have different people in Confluence versus different in Jira. And a lot of it is still a very much a, a separate ecosystem. So it's something where I guess one of the theses I have is like multi-product or at the very least like tighter integrated products is just going to be like the future here just because building software is not easy, but it's a lot easier than like 10, 15 years ago, right? And so I think it's one of those things where I'm kind of curious, like how did you decide on like the core 50% of these initial um, products or these features, depending on how you define it? And then do you like, is it one of those things where like as you kind of go up, up, up in terms of that feature stack, like do you find that users have a lot of friction there or is it something where like the core they really didn't need that other 50%. So like, you know, talk, talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Really great question. And we, to be honest, we didn't know from the beginning. And, and so we kind of created this new methodology for developing software where it was like, instead of thinking for the future, let's think for just right now, let's think for the next week, the next two weeks, and let's ship 5% of a feature, 10% of a feature. And, and it'll only take us a week to do it. And then let's just hyperactively listen to feedback from customers and figure out what we should do next based on that feedback. And so we built a really cool feedback system that listens it ingests you know, all of our feedback from, from all of these different data sources and aggregates it. And we're able to see where we went right and where we went wrong. 
And so, you know, to answer your question, like something like time tracking, you can look at point solutions for this that um, built very, very robust time tracking. We built 10% at first. We realized we needed to build more. We built 20%, 30%. We probably got to 40% or so and realized that's all people needed um, for the most part. You know, there's always going to be that, those exceptions to those use, that, the, the use cases that are going to need the really advanced stuff. But majority of users that wanted time tracking started using our time tracking at roughly 40% feature parity compared to a point solution. So we didn't know in hindsight, right? We didn't, we didn't know at the beginning where we had to land. But we just kept iterating until we landed and, and we knew that we had like that product market fit for that, uh, that specific feature. And that's what we've done with, with pretty much every feature. Now, with that said... Our core has to be tasks and projects. Like that is the core project management use case, but also the piece of your, your your work that you just can't get around from. And so we have always wanted to be, and I think today are best in class in the project management side of, side of things and the flexibility in project management, which prior to us was very opinionated in how you had to use project management software. It was it was super opinionated. It was either very complex, you know, agile Jira software. Or very simple, you know, Asana-like experience software. There was no, there was no flexibility, or just wildly, like way too flexible, like Trello, but almost like oddly opinionated, right? Like it's like you got to use Kanban, but also like we're not going to give you any other like tools, you know, to to kind of go after this. That's super interesting. So like that actually like breaks a little bit of convention of what I thought about you guys, because I think that the project management piece being so core, like that's the best in class thing, because it seems like then you have two vectors, you know, you have multiple vectors, but from a product perspective, two vectors that you can go after, right? Which is what are these things that are, you know, connected that you can then bundle and rather than like fighting a point solution on the like 60% of features that are only for like the 1% people, but there's all these different 1% that need it, like going after that core. And that obviously brings in and I'm preaching to the choir here and brings in like a ton of people who are like, I want these things to talk to each other and not through some like intern built integration, right? And so I guess like, how do you then prioritize the next, how do you prioritize, you talked a little bit about prioritizing up, you know, 50% to more. How do you prioritize out? Like, how do you prioritize like time tracking versus notes versus like all these other things? Well, I think we, it's important to look at like what we see, what we see as the core. We see tasks or projects. We see goals, which can be anything. It can be sprints, even that. We see docs and then we see collab collaboration. These like four pillars is what we call them of work. And so the, these things are the pillars. These things that are holding things up. And then there's outside of that, there's like these ancillary kind of like long tail things like time tracking, um, like resource management. And there really isn't as many as you would think that there are. You know, there's there's roughly like 15 or so of those those like more kind of secondary products to that that integrate with your four pillars of work. And so we didn't know we needed to build all of them, and, but we did. And, and so I think that there, there you know there's there's a point where you get to where you're able to start building building more. Um, and you when you're listening to customers, you know whether or not you need to continue continue building or not. Now we can't you know obviously we say one app to replace them all in our messaging. Obviously, it's just meant to grab attention. You know, we can't actually replace every single application. Yet, um, but it's meant to, to make you think. Yeah, it's meant to make you think about it. Like, wait, there's no way somebody can replace them all. Let me let me look them up or let me think about them. Right. That's what marketing is like getting somebody to think, getting somebody to look, look, look you up or get, getting you to talk about it, provoking. And and so like that, that's what it that's what it does. But if you have that foundation there, even if it's, you know, that 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent future parity, you will see that people do start start using it. And once we start 
seeing people use it and adopt it and we hear feedback, then we, we go back and we iterate. We iterate until we get it until we get it right into a place where it's it's going to be. Um, but what we've done the past, you know, we've, we've been around almost almost four years and what we've done and until this year is build that foundation. And this until the end of this year, it's all foundation. It's it's let's make sure we have all of those pillars and those kind of long tail keywords there. Maybe not, you know, feature parity where you can use them or replace complete your other complete solution yet. Um, but at least that foundation is there. And then from here on into the future, it's just iterating. So we don't have anything else on uh, on you know the side. We we have virtual whiteboarding that that we're really releasing very very soon. But outside of that, you know, our foundation is Got now it. there. Okay. No, I like that. And then there will probably be a future, maybe not recent, but like a, a distant future where it's like, oh, let's let's cross this particular boundary into this type of work, right? I, I don't know. I don't know if you've talked about this publicly. You remind me more of HubSpot than anything. Like I don't know. Like from a product perspective, like I think obviously very different products, right? But the way that they've thought about how to go out and up, right? Like that's that's kind of how they've they run it. And I guess before we get into some of the marketing questions, I'm kind of curious, like how do you structure your product teams, right? Like, and I know you've you've obviously, you know, raised a good chunk of change at this point, but there there probably always wasn't, you know, that, that chunk of change in the bank. And also like it, it hopefully accelerated what you were already doing. But I know with multi-product teams, there's always like everyone focus on one thing, uh, everyone, you know, different product groups. Like how, how do you structure those teams, I guess. Today, we we have squads or pods, whatever you want to call them, or t- of teams hyper-focused on each feature, right? And, and for us, it's, it's more like a feature is a product. And so you, so you have, you know, roughly six, seven, eight people focused on on a feature slash product. And, you know, we, we've got about 10 of 10 of those teams today. And then we kind of have some some other teams that are kind of more ad hoc that they move around, that, that they float around like dotted lines. I think that's, you know, the only way to, to really scale when you get to a certain a certain size. But I will say that early on, you know, you don't need that. Like you really can have just exceptional product people that are really passionate about what they're doing and building and that they all they can do all of the jobs. They can do the user research job. They can do the UI job. They can do product management. If you got those people that can do it all, that's how you can start out in the beginning. And, and you know, to be clear, I... I was the only product person for two and a half, three years, three years, a year, year and a half ago. There wasn't anybody else, and so, so it's it's okay to just wing it, right? It's it's okay to just figure it out. I think when when I was doing this, I was I was really worried that you know there's all of these, all of our competitors have raised so much money and they have so many people and they've got the smartest people in the world, and and it's just it's just not true. Like it's like any anybody can wing it, any anybody can can do it. Yeah, I, I also think like. One of the things that's kind of interesting is like you mentioned this before about like the flexibility versus the rigidity of like some of these tools and then how full featured they are is I, I guess the thing I'm wondering is like, how do you guys think about that square? Like, like meaning like, how do you make sure that you're not so flexible that people like don't know what to do and they're like, ah, what do I like? I log in and I need instructions or a tutorial versus like putting them because cause this is such a problem, especially in like the task management, project management space, let alone like even you, you wouldn't think time tracking, but like time tracking can get get problematic this way and so besides talking to your customers like what how do you think about that so i think you know there there's this whole no code movement going on and the way that i see no code is it just means no opinion and so for us we aren't we aren't no code we have an opinion on how you're using our software you're using it for work you're using it to to be more productive to get more done and so through that lens each feature we build it has an opinion of like what the feature is right? and we have these things called click apps where it's very very highly flexible configurable basically applications or, or settings within within a product uh, and so they are opinionated themselves in what they are, 
But we think about it from a product team. We Does it work for, does this individual feature work for two people? And does it work up to 2,000? And now we're starting to expand that to, to you know 20,000 or more. But that's what we thought about from day one is does it work for two to 2,000? And as long as you solve for just those two personas, you really solve for almost everything in between. If you can build a feature that has an opinion to it of like what it's for, but enough flexibility that works for a small team and a, in a larger enterprise, then it solves for everything in between. And that's what we've done since day one. And this is, I think that you also have a very, it's it's hard to measure, but you have an interesting North Star with like reducing the amount of time people, like the efficiency of time, right? And so you can look at mm-hmm. what's going on and, and that's like, that drives an opinion. I think the the lack of opinion products, they don't have like a North Star. And I think that kind of is a good transition to talk about your marketing, right? You know, save one day a week, all in one, you know, these types of things. Like what's it like marketing you know, a product that has so much surface area where you have this really broad, like we save you time. And it's like, what? like, yeah, I'm going to explore it, but it's hard to like see exactly what you do sometimes. Plus all these like little points, point, uh, not solutions, but point like entrances into the product. Like, let's just start there. Like, what's that like? You got to, when, when, I mean, I think you got to look at marketing in, in a couple of different ways. If you look at brand marketing, like the whole goal is just making your brand more well-known, making your brand, your brand credible. And so to do that through that lens, you want to, cast the widest net possible. And that's what we do with like messaging, like one app to replace them all and save one day every week. You know, one app to replace them all it actually surprisingly does does work for a lot a lot of personas, but for for many it doesn't. You know, an enterprise doesn't want one app to replace them all, right? They want the world's best X, Y, and Z software, the world's best project management software. And so we have to be very aware of that and reactive. This is always what I coach our teams on is being extremely reactive when it comes to marketing and sales. And so as soon as you know what a customer wants, change everything. Change Instead of one app to replace them all, we are the world's best project management software, the world's most powerful project management software when we are targeting that, that persona that we know that needs that. So I think, I think you know, from from marketing perspective, cast a huge net and then start to focus on where that cost, who that customer is, what they really care about, and then verticalize it, you know, really focus on, on the problem set that they have. Now you can't fake it. Uh, you can't just, you can't, and there are some companies I think try to where you, you know, you just, you only do the marketing reactive. Like you've got your product actually has to do what you, what it says it does also. And so you, you got to do everything right. You know, you can't just do marketing, just do sales and just go to market. Like your product actually does have to, have to be able to fit into that flexible lens that marketing can do. But if you can do that, then you can really unlock a really some magical growth. So what's interesting is it, so the verticalization I thought was really interesting there. And I've, I've actually seen at least on the broad campaigns, basically when I'm in airports, um, that's all I see are click up ads and I take pictures and send them to our marketing team. So I've seen the like one app to rule them all I've seen or whatever the variation of that is. And I've also seen the save, save a day a week overall, when you're measuring this like brand and you measure it, like it's always a debate, right? And, and it's probably not perfect attribution, which is fine. But like, how do you how do you be reactive when you're running such a such a such a brand orientated campaign? There are some like platforms that claim to be able to measure this stuff. We haven't found anything that works real well. The, the only real way to look at it quantitatively is through brand awareness. And so you can use platforms like SurveyMonkey and, and others that that measure brand awareness, which just means they go and ask X amount of people in a given location, do they know ClickUp? Have you heard of ClickUp? And so that's what we use 
used to measure in, in these markets. And you know, when we we do it every quarter or, or twice a quarter, depending on on how much we're spending. And whenever we don't see a significant increase, if we're seeing, you know, if we don't see like a 20, 30, 40% increase in brand awareness, we actually stop spending and we'll pull out. But when we when we see a larger increase, we double down. And so it, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but when we start to see 30%, 40% increase, we double down and we continue and we we saturate it until we stop seeing that that brand awareness. And then we immediately pull out as as, as soon as as soon as it starts slowing down. And that's a tactic that's that's worked really effectively for us and, and efficient. And I and I, you know, I get from the outside, it looks it, it looks unsustainable. It looks like it's it's just, you know, blowing marketing dollars to do it, but we really are measuring it and and being pretty reactive and sustainable when it comes to when it comes to the brand awareness play. At the end of the day, we're buying time with this, right? It could take us, all of our competitors are twice as big competitors or twice as old as or more as we are. And so they've got, you know, four or five, six years more of brand marketing ahead of us. And so we've got to buy time. And that's kind of what we're, we're doing with this, ironically. No, that's really cool. And also a lot of those ad campaigns are now, like you don't have to commit to six months in most of them and like stuff like that. So you can turn them on, turn them off like really quickly. Yeah, and we we got really, uh, you know, during COVID, nobody was, was buying out of home, right? And so so we did that's actually, great. we got really you know, rack, rack bottom rates and we signed for longer terms. So kind of, kind of counterintuitive again to what you would think, but we would, we signed for you know a year, knowing that at some point people would start traveling again, right? People would start seeing this again. But we got COVID prices even today. I mean, we're paying COVID prices for our for our out of home. And when you design, like when someone comes to that page, I know you probably gotten some some heat for it, but there's a giant like pop up that comes up, right? Like and, and so like talk to me about like I come to the website either through an ad somewhere to a landing, but like how do you get me from the website to like sign up? Like what's what's that experience look like? Because with all in one or not, excuse me multi-product it, it can be like very uh very difficult you know for for organic traffic for for our kind of holistic organic traffic meaning branded so where you search click up and get to us we try to just show you everything that we have hoping that you know you see, you see something that you like and, and sign up that that's really the best the best that we can do when we're doing intentional marketing more paid acquisition it the product is generally verticalized so what that means is you know if you're searching trying to find engineering project management software, you're going to come to an engineering management project management page that shows you all of the bells and whistles that you would normally find in a point solution like like an Atlassian suite, and then shows you the difference between us and them and shows you all the other things that you can do with ClickUp versus X, Y, and Z competitor. That's been very, very successful for us is, is kind of that verticalization play when when you know who the customer is. But when you don't, our thesis is just like, let's just show them you know all the things that we have and hopefully they'll find something that they like find something that they enjoy. yeah and for the folks listening like you just have to go to the website it's ex- like the homepage is extremely well organized like it seems like there's a lot of stuff on there but like the different sections i think are really powerful and even i, I just saw it when i was looking the the thing this is a tangential, but one of the hacks I think you guys do really well with, or at least from a marketing perspective, it seems is like there's a lot of lock in when it comes to tools like this, whether it's Trello, Asana, Notion, et cetera. And the ability to kind of import into ClickUp, I think is super, super powerful. It seems like you've spent some time there. So I guess like that's an interesting question. Like you might not know this, but of your customers right now, how many are coming from existing solutions and how many are coming from like we haven't used anything? Yeah, we only have this data based on if people import and, and roughly 40% of customers import That's when, when they wild. get into our, our product. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. And so is it, you're exactly right that, you know, this was a huge bet we took early on 
because it took a, it takes a lot of time to build these imports. This was this was no easy task, and it's a lot of maintenance too, That's and data wild. mapping and validation errors that you get. I mean, it's they're still not perfect today, but they're 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 still good. And, and so when you can do that, you unlock a lot of like the the hurdle to to switching any product really is migration. You know, how do I get all of my stuff from my previous product to this product? And usually you're having a systems team do that for you, or maybe a, a solutions team after the sale do that try and do that for you. And it's not perfect, but we've got into a way where you really can, from most products, you can import everything that you have existing outside of ClickUp into ClickUp and it will just work right off the right off the shelf. And so that that in itself has been a huge like growth hacking thing for us early on. I know we got a we got limited time here, so I I, I, the last kind of topic I want us to cover is or second to last is operationally. You've talked about you have multiple products, got a lot of fronts in terms of marketing, and you also want your team to react really, really quickly. Talk about that, like at just a high level. Like, do, is there something you're doing where you uniquely structure your exec teams, uniquely structure the org structure? Is there anything that like you know? a lot of single product companies don't realize when they're going multi-product or multi-feature? You know, I think you got to find people. You can't sacrifice on, on your culture and you can't sacrifice on, on anyone that you hire, especially leadership. So leadership, usually, especially when you're scaling, everyone's like, Shit. I need this person. I need this VP of sales. And maybe this person's not perfect, but you know they'll they'll do a good job. <laughs> you you can't do that. You've really got to find the absolute best person for the job. And you can't sacrifice on on your culture, even if it means taking longer than it than it could to hire somebody. Because those people, those pillars, right? Those pillars are for sales for marketing, for product, for creative, for design, for operations, all of those pillars have to have a leader in them. And I look at them as their own business units. And, and so you've got to almost have like an entrepreneur leading each of these units. And but you've got to trust them to, to I mean, we went from we went from 50 employees. So we're over 750 employees today in a year. And you have and 750 people now? Um, Holy cow. Yeah. I did not realize it grew that fast. Holy cow. That's wild. Yeah. And and so usually everything breaks down during that. And you know, we weren't perfect. Things did break down, but largely we were continued to scale. And you know, the only way to do that is really have those incredible leaders that have done it before too around you. I mean, so you've got to have a mixture between inexperience and experience. I think for us also to answer your question, you know, we we hire people that are extremely obsessed and passionate about what they're doing. It means that you know, we are focused on our mission. We are focused on our core and what we're doing. And honestly, we, we work harder than I think other companies. We have to in, in a very competitive space. And so when you find people that are in the same, along with the same culture and that, that same kind of, you know, passion for, for, for building, it becomes a lot easier to scale. That's wild. Wild. And I have so many more questions, but we don't have time now based on that comment alone. But a couple of last questions so we can get you out of here. Um, these are a little more personal, but they're not. Per- that makes it weird. So let me just ask, what was your first job and what did you learn from it? My first real job was at a grocery store called Lowe's, Lowe's Foods in, in North Carolina. I did. The, I worked in the produce, the produce section. And I started to learn interacting with people, right? Interacting with, with I think, strangers is a better way to put it. Um, so customer service, right? Customer support. You know, be, prior to that, I've had, I had many... Uh, like I was, I was a DJ also. Nice. I, I, uh, I guess it was actually kind of around that same time. Yeah. And, and, but that was more of like me kind of starting the business for that. And then I think another one, I always, this, this was just kind of a funny one. It wasn't my first job, but I, I drove the monorail at Disney world. So I worked, at, I worked at Disney world for, uh, yeah, for, for seven or eight months and, and, uh, and drove the monorail there. And there also, 
I learned customer experience. Like, when we have an extreme, like everybody talks about customer sure. focus, and but we really, every single person here cares so much about the customer, and we don't care how much it costs us. We have no rules on keeping our cost, our cogs down for for customer support. We have twenty four seven customer support, real time customer support. We have free onboarding, free setup. Like we don't care how much it costs. We really just want to make that customer happy. And I think I learned that from those those few early jobs. That's amazing. And then last question, what did your parents do and what did you learn from them? <laughs> they were both in the me- in the medical field. My dad was was a doctor, my mom was was in the hospital administration and I I think I learned from them um, of work work habits. They they worked a lot, um, and so I kind of learned learned that work obsession and and good work ethic from them. And you know, I think I think to, to this day, I, I certainly still have that probably a little bit too imbalanced still. But that's the reality. I think nobody wants to talk about it as as a startup. You know, everyone preaches work life balance all day, but you know, the reality is to, to build something exceptional, something legendary, like you're gonna have to work a lot, and it's okay to say that. I love that. Yeah, I talk about the. <laughs> fit. And whenever anyone asks in interviews about work-life balance, I'm always like, well, let's just reject the premise for a second and like talk about this. But anyways, man, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Yeah. I mean, uh, ClickUp itself is at ClickUp.com. Um, we have a free forever plan. So anybody can sign up in any day. And, uh, you know, my, myself is, uh, I'm at DJ Curfew on, Love it. on social media. That's that's my old DJ name. So I'm, I, uh, I, you know, PR people have tried to give me a change, <laughs> but uh, I'm not changing. You got to keep on to your roots. No, it's awesome man. Appreciate it, brother. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. A huge shout out to Zeb for doing the pod. Now you have what it takes to crush brand awareness. Today, we talked about the role flexibility plays in feedback, four pillars that drive ClickUp's prioritization, how to harvest leads from a wide marketing net, ClickUp's brand awareness strategy, and what most companies miss when going multi-product. Oh, and if you want to support Paddle and the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you're listening or watching. The podcast gods like that type of thing, and you know we like to appease the podcast guides. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Thank you.